All right, let's have a word of prayer and get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this sunny day. We thank you for uh, the chance to gather together once again and worship you and the chance to uh, gather together here in a, a class to discuss the, the doctrines that we hold so dear, Lord, and we pray that uh, these things would not just be doctrines on a page, but uh, Lord, that they would be near to us and, and that we would uh, hold tight to them when we were going through difficult times, that, that we would be comforted by things like the resurrection and the promises made to us. And Lord, that uh, we would have a profitable discussion this morning, and as we open your word, you would open our, our, our minds and our hearts and and uh, our eyes to what your word says. Uh, we, we thank you for uh, the service we had yesterday for Dolores Lewis, and Lord, we just pray that you would be with her family uh, for uh, the, the future as they're continuing to, to miss her, and, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you'd be especially with Barb, and uh, we pray that you would be here with us this morning as well. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's talk about... Uh, this openly thing here. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. Openly acknowledged and acquitted. As opposed to... Secretly? Yeah, secretly. Is there a sense in which God has kind of secretly acknowledged and acquitted us from the moment of our justification? Well, yeah, because there's no, like, real outward sign... There's an act, like the, the act of baptism or whatever, that we would go through. But there's, like, if you're just walking around, somebody can't look at you. False. When you fill out the decision card, <laughs> it is sent directly to the Lamb's Book of Life. Put on file. <laughs> yeah. You can't know from looking at someone. Yeah. Right. So, so there will be, you know, Jesus talks about the, those things on a secret. We shout it from the, the rooftops. You know, there, there will be an opening up of, this, these are my followers and, and those who... Uh, who were not ashamed of him before men, he will not be ashamed of us before the Father and, and the holy angels uh, and, and the rest of that. Both our faith in Christ and our acceptance before God have been hidden in Christ, right? And so we're going to um, see this, this opening up where everything becomes public. That's kind of a major aspect of uh, the, the judgment day. And... Uh, this is a, a quote, I believe, from Alexander White. The whole transaction of their renewal, union to Christ, pardon, and acceptance was unknown to the world in which they dwelt. In many cases, true believers themselves had never come to a clear assurance that they possessed these saving benefits. Remember Augustine saying assurance is not of the essence of faith. You can be saved and, and, and worry that you're not. Uh, but all that will then be made manifest both to themselves and to all men. What had been spoken in secret shall then be told from the housetops. Uh, and that is, uh, yeah, that's Alexander White. So th this is going to be a wonderful day for those who follow Jesus. And that's what this question is about, receiving benefits. The next one, whether it's 38 or 39 or whatever, uh, we'll talk about uh, those who have not followed him and, and uh, the day of judgment. The, the full enjoying, that is another phrase in here that I think... We might slip right over, but it actually has a, uh, you know, a lot packed into it. It's a, a pregnant phrase. Perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God. That harkens back to question one, right? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And enjoy him forever. Yeah, so 
And the full enjoying is a benefit that we receive at the resurrection. Uh, and it will be eternal. It will be forever. In the Old Testament, when people die, there's the notion that they sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the New Testament, the New Covenant, when we die, we look forward to, to sitting down with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a full enjoying, not a partial, not shadows, but the essence of what God created us to do and to be. So the chief end is then attained, right? At that point, you know God. Now, you'll never know him exhaustively because he is infinite, so you can never fully know him. But we'll know him not as through a glass darkly, but face to face, uh, and we will be fully enjoying him. What is the world's response to all this? To this promise? Yeah, to the notion that here we are, a bunch of otherwise intelligent and educated people, sitting here saying, well, when we die, what benefits do we get? And then when we are raised again from the dead, what, what's going to happen? Ooh, we're going to be raised up in glory and acknowledged and acquitted and then made perfectly blessed and fully enjoy God forever. This is perhaps the most stupid thing from the world's point of view, right? That, that, that just makes people, why, why are you wasting your life now over this empty promise of this stuff that's supposedly going to happen when you're, oh, what was the term I saw used like three times? Invisible sky daddy or something. Like yeah, there's all these, you know, very condescending and, and offensive words for, for God or for, or for Christ. This, this idea, I think it's to the heart of what the world despises about the gospel. That it's saying rather than in the moment now, gather all the pleasure you can, all the accomplishment you can, heap up all the materials you can. Um, you remember uh, in the, you don't, over here, but maybe over here, you remember in the mid-90s seeing bumper stickers, he who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah. Um, that, that, that kind of notion, to us, that rings so empty and, and silly, but to the world, Jesus commands <coughs> to instead store up treasures in heaven is silly because that heaven's not real and the treasures aren't real and you're just wasting the one life that you get. In fact, remember it was on uh, the Areopagus when he got to the resurrection that Paul was kind of laughed and laughed at, shouted down, and, and mocked. Hello? <laughs> Sounds like it's from really far away. It does, yeah. Tell them we said hi. Stephen Hawking, not long before he died, said this, I regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. That is from a guy who, of course, had been for 50 years looking at death as something that was coming soon or at least coming relentlessly as his body wasted away. And you'd think there would be some in sense of maybe there's something to this. I should 
at least cover my bases. But no, the, the hardened heart of man is always going to look at the promises of God and scoff rather than uh, hold on to them or even look into them any further. And I think Hawking there speaks for most people today in the Western world. I mean, when you start talking to uh, people about what they really believe, even those who would say I'm spiritual would say, well, I mean, I don't believe in this notion of heaven and hell and like uh, the Bible and this is dogmatically true. I'm just kind of flowy and deep and I, you know, I do my yoga and I chant my mantras and stuff. Uh, why is it then that the world sees resurrection as foolish, but more and more people believe in reincarnation? They seem like similar categories anyway. What is it about the resurrection, do you think, that from Paul's day through ours prompts people to, to kind of laugh? I mean, in Paul's day, the people he was speaking to involved, you know, the Gnostic beliefs and that why would you come back into this body and this life? Um, I think that reincarnation gives you, like, if somebody isn't really happy with their life, then reincarnation, the idea gives you an idea of, uh, of, of Getting something. You something. get a different chance. It's like you get a different life that will be better, they assume, than this one. Okay. You know, so it wouldn't be going. In a sense, a resurrection gives you another life that would be right. better than I this one. I don't know. I don't know how much people know the the true nature of that because most people, I think, have the idea of the sort of Looney Tunes sitting on a cloud with a heart thing, and that doesn't sound very interesting for your next life. You know, it seems boring to people. Okay. Do you think there's anything to do with the fact that it's the core of our faith as well? Uh, we're going to find in the, the text this morning uh, in uh, the service that Paul uses just bringing up the resurrection, starts a big fight, and, and he's bringing it up because it's the core of what we believe. He says, if the dead are not raised, then this whole thing is a big sham. The whole thing falls in on itself, and you should pity us more than anybody. You should look at us and go, oh, you, sweetie, you really believe that? Bless your heart. The church as a whole really talks about it much. Mm, okay. You know, so even churches pull away from that. Yeah, they talk about going to heaven, but other than that, it's about, like, having a great life now, because this is the life you've got. I mean, it's almost like following. Now, who says anything like that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, even, even when it's not blatantly, you know, that's the slogan. Yeah, that's the undercurrent. There is this sense of, uh, all right, we're doing a sermon series on beating your debt or losing those last 10 pounds. Or a lot of churches that are um, growing in number, right. it's because they're an inch deep and a mile wide. And yeah, yeah. What has done for me, and now my life is great. Right. God's here like one of those old cigarette machines where you just pull the knob and outcomes what you want uh, even though it's not perhaps what we need or what the scriptures really offer hmm so you're saying we might be to blame we as a collective whole sure the I church the people in this room are... well I mean Sean probably but... <laughs> <laughs> well that could be true <laughs> 
what's your response though? If, if Stephen Hawking was here right now and not dead, but like and still alive, um, and and he with the like robot, did he invent that thing? The like robot voice thing? Okay. Well, in anyway, was able to say to you all this stuff. I, the brains of broken down computer. The notion of heaven or an afterlife for broken down computers is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. What would you say in response? Sorry to feel that way. Too bad for you. Jeez. Uh, you might say. You might say some. Like, like I think that the the beauty is that you you're not afraid. Like you as a Christian, you don't have yeah. to be afraid. I would think he would be afraid. I mean, with the life you're projecting, man. All right, she's okay. gonna get right in his face. Well, he can't. She's gonna like over his like electric motorized wheelchair he's, and. He's somebody who got right in people's faces. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So... Well, but people say you know, possibly the smartest man in the last century or something. Um, and yet he's obviously missed something big. Now, according to Jesus, I think he's missing two things, actually. Uh, everybody open up to Matthew 22. It's so wild how these questions always seem to sort of intertwine with where we are in the text uh, in big people's church. Somebody read for us verses 23 through 33, which is the Sadducees trying to trap Jesus, rookie move, and Jesus spiritually judoing them into looking stupid. Read it, Sam. The same through 33, right? Yes, please. Okay. The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they ask him a question, saying, Teacher... Uh, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to uh, the second and third, down to the seventh, after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, uh, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all have her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, uh, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as to the resurrection of the dead, uh, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So... This is the Sadducees trying to make Jesus look foolish because he believes in a pharisaical doctrine of the resurrection. And in the Cyrillic text, there's actually a, a markation around resurrection that indicates they used finger quotes. When they said, at this resurrection, whose wife will she be? Maybe not, but that is the, the idea. They're, undoubtedly, they put a little lean in, a little extra oomph on that word, like the resurrection. So even the religious people of the day, the, the kind of priestly aristocracy, were mocking this notion as something silly. You know, you've got your life now, make the most of it now. All right, teacher, and of course Jesus comes in and he says they know neither, and he gives them two things that they're missing. What are they? It's in verse 29. The scriptures 
Yeah, they're missing that. those two things. The scriptures and the power of God. I would say those are the two things that uh, Stephen Hawking is missing as well. If he were to study the scriptures with an with a open mind and, and, and open to what they teach, uh, and instead of just looking for uh, a way to write a new history of the universe without an absolute beginning and without any kind of... I mean, I remember shortly before he died, maybe 2013 or so, so not... not a little little while ago, he came out with a book, and, and all the buzz about it was, this is the book that shows that God didn't create the universe. That was his goal, was to show that there is no God. Um, and he's been studying the power of God this whole time. And so, of course, something like the resurrection will seem silly, because it is the end of our hope. It's our goal. Ultimately, the thing that comforts us is that, yeah, we'll die, but we won't perish, yet we will live. And so you've got to pull that out, or you haven't defeated Christianity yet. I think clearly, too, the irony of, of him and a lot of other um, atheist scientists would be that they already have a conclusion before they start trying to prove it. And that's exactly the type of thing that they would accuse believers of already deciding mm -hmm. without evidence. Right. Well, and in many cases, probably the believers have done a similar right. thing. But I, I think, think it's a that human that's thing, but yeah. Might say to him, mm -hmm. you already decided this before you did any study, and that's not a good scientific method. Oh. I would too, yeah. But perhaps, I mean, who knows how if people respond to different things in different ways. Perhaps the fact that as a young man, he discovered he had this and he, being so brilliant, knew what it would look like. It might have just made him more bitter. And yeah, I mean, I, I could see that happening with any of us, right? I mean, to say, why, why would you do this? If there's a God, why am I having to suffer this way needlessly? Well, what's so strange, and I haven't seen the movie, but the sort of cultural feeling around him is that despite the fact that he was somebody with no hope, he's been made into this person that people are like, oh, what a, what a great person to follow and what a great mind and, you know, all like he's been elevated to this level that you would normally see with somebody who was making people feel better. <laughs> right, right. Instead of despondent. But I think that he gives people an excuse to say, like, oh, well, okay, so it doesn't matter. You're what stardust. It doesn't matter. That's all. Yeah. So I can do what I want. When he died, his uh, funeral was at uh, Anglican Church in a university with which he was affiliated. But I remember it was on Holy Saturday. I remember all these people opining about that, you know, like he, he couldn't have had a Roman Catholic, you know, I mean, he couldn't have anyway because he was a Roman Catholic, but he couldn't have had a Roman Catholic uh, funeral because when Jesus is considered dead on that day, because they're really living in this, this liturgy, um, <laughs> a lot going on, there. Uh, on that day, you, you couldn't have a, a mass, you couldn't do, you know, you couldn't do a funeral, um, and this notion of him being put to, uh, laid to rest on this day when Jesus was in the grave and whether that was kind of a sign of the bleakness and hopelessness 
uh, that comes with his point of view or, or kind of had in it some intrinsic hope that maybe at the last minute he put some faith in God or who knows. Um, but the idea that they did this liturgy, which he would have thought of as silly, uh, is, yeah, the whole thing just, it makes me sad. And, and it, it's, I think, kind of emblematic of how it doesn't matter how smart you are, or how worldly wise, you can miss the most important thing and therefore kind of miss everything. You can gain your life but lose your soul and that does you absolutely no good. Well, I wonder if it's just hard for somebody like him to have faith, like the faith of a child. Because he's just always looking for... Because of his intellect? Or because, because of his intellect, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, maybe that's why he lives so long. Because yeah, that's true. A long time for a guy with that disease. Right, you, I know yeah. of a lot of people who would have said at some point, I have no quality of life, what's the point? I just want to be done. Whereas he was saying, I still have stuff to do. I still have stuff to contribute. I, I'm all here mentally, and now we have the technology. I can write books, and I can teach. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting case study of someone who really had the the human spirit that God puts in yeah. us, and yet not the hope that God built us for. I wonder how different his viewpoint would be if he lived in a time where technology couldn't have helped him communicate. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't know, but I think that would change his life considerably. Well, he did with a dialogue right here. Because yeah. <laughs> they would have the technology to keep him alive. Biblically. Two questions come up. One is, how do we know that God can raise the dead? And secondly, how do we know that God will raise the dead? And to answer the first one, let's go to Romans 4, 17. As you turn there, I'll read it. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So the very God who made everything out of nothing... And then took some of that everything that he made out of nothing, namely dust, and made everyone ultimately out of that, and breathed the breath of life into the man, and he became a living soul. He is also going to give life to the dead, or he can. How do we know that God will raise the dead? Somebody flipped to Daniel 12, and someone else to John 5. Daniel 12, 2. And John, I'm going to hold that John one close to the vest. I just want you hanging on my every word. I'd like to be able to flip to the pages, but I, I don't know exactly where it is. So. John, it's after John 4. When you look at me like that, I pretend that it's desire. <laughs> John 5, 28 to 29. While you're flipping, let me point out, uh, too, that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, which is why they mocked Jesus for believing in it. And one of the reasons was, as we'll talk about in the, the message this morning, they only held to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And yet, where does Jesus go to show that there's a resurrection? Right into the Pentateuch. Uh, and in doing so, we're not in that question now anymore, but he shows his view of uh, inspiration. The, the, we're talking about a letter or two difference here between I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus makes a huge 
whole builds a whole theology on that of resurrection saying hey he's not the god of the dead he's the god of the living therefore abraham isaac and jacob must still have been around in some sense somewhere when he said that uh and so resurrection then is a biblical doctrine even if you only hold to those first few books of the bible okay uh daniel 12 2 <laughs> I was waiting for everyone to do that, but you were like moving ahead to John. Oh, I got it. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Well, it almost seems like Jesus didn't invent the ideas of um, reward and punishment after uh, the after death at a, a day of judgment, nor was he just rhetorically using the Pharisees' idiosyncratic views against them, like Rob Bell and a few other people tried to say. Uh, what about John 5, 28 to 29? Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Almost the exact same words, right? So it's a cohesive picture that's painted in scripture. Uh, it's, it is part of progressive revelation where you don't have a very clear picture of these things in you know, Deuteronomy or something, but there's nothing contradictory here. The prophets saying the same thing that Jesus says, the same thing that the apostles will then say. When we talk about a resurrection, do we mean that we will be raised back up in the same body? Or are we talking about some sort of hybrid uh, reincarnation where we'll be born into another body, a better, different kind of being, but still with our memories and identity from before? If I know anything about reincarnation from movies, sometimes you can have your memory from your previous lives. Anyone see this movie called Dead Again with Robin Williams? It's pretty good. It's from the 90s, which makes it good. And everybody slowly remembers that they had a beef in previous lives and they all start killing each other. It's not good. It's pretty bad, now that I think yeah, about it. By, by good, I mean horrible, but fun. Uh, <laughs> so when I, uh, sorry, I asked this question and then I just riffed for a vamp. Uh, same body or not? Well, we're going to be like angels. So what did you say? I hope it's not the same body. I'm not too happy with my body right now. <laughs> All right. So there's, in some sense, you're going, I don't want to get back into this body, which is exactly what the Epicureans and Stoics were laughing at when Paul said, this guy who lived in a body that was prone to breaking down and getting sick and all these things, a human body, would go back into that body after he'd been freed from it. Uh, we say we hope that we don't have to go back to. And what did you just say? Well, one of the earlier things we read was said that we would be made like the angels. Where was that? I don't remember. One of these earlier things. That was. Was it Matthew? Yeah, that was the Matthew. That was when Jesus answered the Sadducees. Yeah. So he's saying not that our bodies will be made like angels, but that in the category of whether we marry or not, we will be like the angels. Okay serving God with, apart from that kind of familial structure. Donna? Yeah, that's not what I don't know is going to come out, right? But Jesus said 
You are a child of mine. So does that mean we will be children? Yeah, I don't think... When did Jesus say you're a child of mine? If you believe in him, you're a child of mine or something like that? I don't know. Child of God. Child of God. So yeah, we called children of God, meaning offspring of God. I don't, right, I don't think there's any in, indication that we will, in in the eschaton, all right. be continually because children in appearance or in thought. Prophets and apostles called the people they were talking to children, my children, but they weren't children; they were talking to adults. Yeah. Right. Well, so. you talk about like the children of Israel right. wandering in the desert. I mean, the adults were wandering too. Right. This is a sense of sons of. Yeah. Um, children is, is probably in most cases just a, a modern translation jumping in and saying we're not just talking about men but women so instead of the sons of God um, so yeah like for example behold what manner of love the father has given unto us that we will be called the sons of God and a newer translation would say called the children of God but that doesn't mean that we're children in the sense that we're not yet matured into adults but just rather that you know like you would say you have children right but they're not still kids. They're just your children. So I, I, don't, I don't think that that uh, seems to be an aspect of, of our bodies or our lives after the resurrection. Well, we're told... Oh, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I thought, I thought that we would be glorified and perfected at the resurrection. And so... That we already did see, yes. So then, to me, that would mean we'll have our bodies, but they won't be broken down. Okay. Aren't they... Um, isn't, I don't know if it's... Revelation or somewhere else that talks about that our bodies will be like his body. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's part of the uh, committal prayer I always uh, use. Uh, it, we, we read in it that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive at his coming will be caught up and scared and, and, and transformed with this twinkling of an eye so that their bodies are made like unto his own glorious body. Right. Um, so, yeah, what was Jesus like after he rose again? Well, was it the same had, body? He still had his wounds, so it's the same body. And the tomb was empty, so right. he walked out of it. Right. So, in a sense, then, we have the same body, but it's it's transformed in some way to be like his. I mean, I don't think we could know all the ways it would be like his, but, like, he's walking into rooms without opening doors and stuff like that. That's kind of different from how we are now, you know? <laughs> Although with... A standard body, Philip is carried up and brought to Azotus, right, uh, and Elijah is carried along to right. Samaria. So, so it may be that I, I don't like when people. I think we get into a little bit of a Gnostic leaning when people start saying, "Well, Jesus was incorporeal, walking through walls after the resurrection." I know you didn't say that, but sometimes people will say that it was less physical. No, no, no. Jesus went out of his way to show that he was still fully physical. Give me that fish. Yeah, yeah I know it's nine in the morning. Was, I want the fish anyway, and he'll eat the fish. Thomas couldn't have touched that were yeah. part of a ghost, you know? Yeah, unless we're talking like X-Men powers where you can phase, but then you can become <laughs> physical, and that's silly. What What's that? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> I just want to know. Alex is like, well, I'm not interested anymore. Yeah, yeah. forget this whole thing now. What's that, <laughs> What if you're like burned or incinerated? Are you going up as dust? Or? See, yeah, we talked about this a, a couple of questions ago. The, the notion of most people who ever lived, well, that's not true anymore. Uh, but a very, very large percentage of people who ever lived, there's nothing left of them anyway. Nothing. Even if you only lived 300 years ago, even the enamel of your teeth is probably gone. Your They're, bones are dust. You're, unless you were still be kept. Around in some way. Yeah, but it might, might have right. been in nine different people. Yeah. 
They could be anyone. Some of the stuff that makes up me might have made up some other guy who's still walking around a while ago, I think, I mean, because you slough off your skin and your yeah. dead cells and all that stuff. So who, who knows how that all works, um, the continuity of it. We know that there is continuity and there is discontinuity. So you will be you, but you will not have, remember, remember this a four act play, right? Creation, God creates and says, it's good. It's good. This is good. In fact, after he makes man, he's like, this is very good. Pleased with himself. And he's allowed to be on account of he's God. Then you have the fall. And he's like, oh, this is bad. Curse comes. Not entirely good anymore. What, what are the effects on us? Pain in childbirth. The, the kind of pain and, and thorns and sweat and awfulness that comes with working. Working itself is good and was there from the beginning before the fall, but you know, the stress of it and the, the horrible stuff of it uh, and death, right? And separation from God, all this stuff. And so the curse brings sickness, we believe. Just as through one man, death came, right? The curse brings uh, knees that break down and shoulders like mine that sometimes ache when I wake up and I'm like, oh, I slept on it weird, but really I didn't. It's just because I'm 41 and I tore my labrum at some point and I'm not going to have it fixed. Uh, and, you know, slowly, we're all slowly breaking down. Starting at 30, your body uh, starts re-prioritizing. Uh, I was hearing about this on NPR the other day and I was like, that is young. And, and you're no longer like, I hurt myself yesterday and I'm better today. Things start taking on. And so that's all part of the fall. Then you have redemption, right, where Jesus comes and he says, I am going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to take the punishment on me and defeat death. And yet, even those of us, I mean, I know Richard's saved. Dude had to get a new knee a couple of weeks ago. Why? Because he's still very sinful. No, because <laughs> he's still living in the world of the curse, right? Consummation the final coming of the kingdom will be when, just like we saw in glorification, like the burning away of anything that remained in us that was not pleasing to God, we read about the, the old world being burned with fire. And I don't think that's a destruction, but rather a purifying. So we'll live on this world, just made new, in bodies that are these bodies, just purged of all the effects of, of the curse and of sin. And that is awesome to me. And you know, a lot of this stuff you have to say, well, what's apocalyptic, what's metaphorical, what's covenant language. But I, I can't get around the fact that there are a lot of people who are like, well, you know, you don't have to eat anymore. And I'm like, well, the first thing you read about is a big old feast. Also, I'm less interested in the new earth if you don't eat anymore. I'm thinking avocados that never go bad. Uh, I'm thinking seedless grapes that don't get weird. Uh, you know, it, we want, to, we want to be fully human because we were made to be fully human and to live on a physical world where there are trees and deer and all the wonderful stuff, but not deer ticks, you know, that make you sick. All, this is what we're made for. And so I think part of what the world scoffs at is the escapism that even upper middle class Christians seem to sort of hold to like, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go to somewhere that's not even physical at all. And I'm, I'm going to escape being a guy. I'm going to be like a ghost or an angel. 
No one's going to be an angel. You don't want to be an angel. Angels, you know, aren't made in the image of God. Rather, our, there's maybe a sense, a whiff of escapism in it. Uh, our present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the, you know, the glory of what's coming. But it's not getting away from the world and getting away from the physical. It's rightly enjoying the world and rightly enjoying our bodies and being fully human as Christ is fully human, true human. And that means working. That means um, enjoying creation. It means all the things that make you human now, minus the stuff that flies in the face of God and makes a mockery of, of his holiness. Sam, I, I know that from when I was younger up to this point, I the idea when people try to sort of sell Christianity in terms of what happens after you die and they are focused on heaven, uh -huh. I've never been interested in that. Right. And I've never wanted to get out of this life at all. That you know, might change when I'm older and I'm not feeling yeah. well or whatever, but um, I've, I've never seen any, like, I've never felt any draw to that at all. Well, and you and I have lived uh, pretty nerf lives. lives, sitting on our biscuit, never having to risk it, to quote <laughs> Daryl Philbin. But, yes, when you say someone's trying to sell it with heaven, that's almost like you're, you're trying to convince someone that they should go on a trip to, you know, South Africa or, or Jerusalem or Fiji or something, and you describe their layover at O'Hare. Right. And you're like, oh, there's all these restaurants, <laughs> and you can charge your phone. And, and it's like, well, yeah, okay, that's fine, and it could be nice, especially if you have, you know, you've got a pass to the, like, elite lounge where you go in, and you can, you're like, oh, look, it's the pilot. But that's not the goal, right? The, whole, the goal is to get to the ultimate destination, and you're going to heaven if you're not still alive when Jesus comes, and if you're a believer and you're, you're born again, but it's just the first leg of a round trip. Right, and I think that that's something that the world has, like a lot of people focus on that when they talk about Christianity and they try to evangelize, and like, if you're having a good time here, that's not really an appeal, you know, that's mm -hmm. not a great way to, you're not really sharing the gospel. You're just talking about one aspect because you're not talking about sin and redemption right, right. of Christ at all. Yeah. I remember as a kid being told, this is what you pray. This is the quote-unquote sinner's prayer. Jesus, forgive my sins so I can live in heaven with you when I die. Um, the chief end of man is not so that I can live in heaven with you when I die. Th that's not it at all. Uh, so, thinking about that. Yeah, right. Well, like kids on Beetlejuice eyes, and stuff, know. maybe. But yeah, like, yeah, in, in, yeah, right. It doesn't yeah. cross your mind. You can't die when you're a kid. Right, right. You're absolutely immortal until you're Alex did. Already. Alex yeah. obsessed about it. He was like five, painting his fingernails <laughs> yeah, black. I think maybe you're a little bit of the exception, Alex. Well, obviously, kids who had a tragedy in their lives yeah, and stuff. But, but like, yeah, most of the time, that's not on your mind. You're doing your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, if we talk about uh, sin and separation from God and what you were created. To be and what could have been and what can be, right. I think kids can grasp a lot more I than we give them credit for. Understand sin, especially if they have siblings. <laughs> <laughs> so they're gonna they're gonna recognize sin in others maybe more than. No, that's I think they know that. I think they know that there's sinful too. You say you know how your brother seems to you. That's how you seem to your brother <laughs> and to God. <laughs>
Fisher, in his shorter catechism, explained, which, yes, is a catechism about the catechism. Gosh, I love this stuff. It says this, By what means will the dead be raised? The Lord Jesus himself shall descend from the heavens with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, and at his alarming voice, which shall be heard all over the world, the scattered dust of all the dead shall be gathered together, dust to its dust, and likewise, every soul shall come again to its own body, never more to be separated. Well, that shouldn't surprise us, because if God created mankind out of dust, mm -hmm. surely he can recreate, recreate all these people. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, back to dust, back to guy. Uh, yeah, you, you, we say on uh, Ash Wednesday, remember you are dust to dust, you shall return. And then we read about the dust being gathered together. And think about even, you know, like in Ezekiel, the valley, yeah. valley of dry bones, which may be less about the resurrection of the body, uh, but certainly informs our view of that. Uh, we're talking about bones strewn about and then this kind of slow reforming of, and yeah, God can do that. God made people out of dust before. And yeah, it, it, I was saying the other day, like my, my view on cremation has greatly changed. I used to be like, all right, and we know God can handle it, but I don't know why you'd choose this since biblically burial and resurrection is our hope. But yeah, unless Jesus comes back quite soon, he's going to have to he's going to have to put you back together out of component parts anyway. And and it's no problem for him whatsoever. So here what does the glory indicate? When we read when we read uh, the resurrection believers being raised up in glory. Not just raised up, but raised up in glory. I think part of that has to be the lack of effects of the fall, right? So if you were raised up and you were like, remember the, the far side? Anybody have the far side book where it's got all his sketches that didn't get made into comics? And there was one where it's like Jesus rises from the dead and he's making coffee. And he's thinking, like, I feel like I've been dead for three days. And he's like, I knew I couldn't make that one. But I didn't mean it to be sacrilegious. I just meant anybody rising from the dead after three days would have to feel horrible. If we were raised again and we were all like, oh, my gosh. That would, like how we get out of bed now. Right. That would not be glorious. Um, Isaiah 33, 24. Who can get there the fastest? Probably me. 33, 24. Maybe not. I'm stuck in Jeremiah. Ho-ho! I beat you. All right. What's the verse? 33, verse 24. And no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The oh. people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. Youthful vigor, right? Um, that's part of the glory. To be powerful and spiritual. We read about in Revelation 7. Uh, I read this at the funeral yesterday. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. Uh, and we read, uh, they shall never sleep, but serve him day and night in his temple. And then the question, of course, comes up, what about those who are alive uh, on the day of resurrection, the day of the Lord? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we've already referenced, but somebody read it for us, please. Oh, I'm there. Ah, go ahead, let's hear it. Um, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. And what is it, I guess? I should the have The resurrection you. of the dead. Okay. What is the, sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, is what came before it. Right, so... What is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. We're talking about us. Yeah. 
Uh, and so say one more time, verse 51. Uh, verse 51. Yeah. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. What did you read the first time? I wrote, read 43, which is what you told me to read. I think 40, <laughs> 42 through the end of the um, chapter is probably all, all work. Actually, the whole, the whole chapter. Read the whole chapter. Mm-hmm. Starting from 35. I'm kidding. So, yeah, we see that, that those who are alive will be changed uh, in the twinkle of an eye. Uh, they're not left out. And there was all this confusion about what it meant to have died. Does that mean that you missed out? Or what happens if you're still alive? Should we want to die before he comes back? Because the resurrection is what we're looking forward to. Uh, ultimately, whatever your state, if you are in Christ, the resurrection is your hope. This is the Christian hope. I hate going to funerals uh, where the hope that's held out is that this person escaped their body and is now floating around in the ether. Or that they'll live on in our memory. Or the, well, yeah, well, that's just pagan nonsense. But like this semi-Christian idea of, you know, and with all, every poem that's ever been printed on one of those little memorial folders, the little tiny foldy thing, is just pagan animistic garbage. It's all like, you know, I'm free now. I'm a flower in God's garden. I'm the wind in your face or whatever the world. And, and rather than emphasizing, no, I am in the, the care of Christ and I will rise again. That's the hope that we should hold to when we gather together, especially in the wake of the death of a saint. Your question. You had read something, I think, that indicated that we would not sleep anymore? Yeah. So do you th- is that because it's always light? Like there's no darkness because Christ is the light? Or yeah, is that too literal of a, like, we won't need sleep? Why don't you do a little search on that? Give us a report next week. <laughs> I, all I know is my sister will not like it if there's no sleep. That's her, her main uh, recreation. <laughs> what does this mean to us? Hmm. I apparently the last time we looked at this was a week before the world was going to end. Uh, that worked out well. Uh, Harold Camping, remember May 21, 2011. No, it's 2000. May 21, 2011. December 21, 2012 was the Mayan calendar thing. So there was a lot of worlds ending because then he also bumped Camping bumped it up. I think to October. So you had May, then October, then December of the next year, and you're like, Argh! and then everyone was like, oh yeah. This just isn't happening. And then the world scoffs and says, where is this coming? Which is exactly what Peter told us the world would say. Where is this coming of his? For from the very beginning, things continue as they have. Um, But we believe he will come. Uh, And I close with an old-timey sermon illustration. I remember, says the writer of John Janway's life, once there was a great talk that one had foretold that doomsday should be on such and such a day. Although he blamed their daring folly that could pretend to know that which was hid, yet, granting their suspicion to be true, what then, said he, what if the day of judgment were come, as it will most certainly come shortly? If I were sure the day of judgment were to come within an hour, I should be glad with all my heart. If at this very instant, 
I should hear such thundering and see such lightning as Israel did on Mount Sinai. I am persuaded my very heart would leap for joy. But this I am confident of through infinite mercy, that the very meditation of that day hath even ravished my soul, and the thought of the certainty and nearness of it is more refreshing to me than the comforts of the whole world. So there's a lot of movies uh, going back decades about what people do when the end is near, the end is coming, and everybody freaks out. Um, we know the end is coming, and it should not give us fear or panic, but rather comfort. In fact, Paul says, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. We are praying that day to come sooner because we trust in the one who's coming again. Uh, we don't trust in the Mayan calendar or some kook like Harold Camping. Poor guy. Interviews he did after the before his death and after this whole thing, he basically said, just ignore everything I said. I was, I was wrong. And, and it's not funny. It's sad. Uh, but he was right about one thing. The end is near and you need to know Jesus. And that's what he emphasized. You need to know Jesus because this is, this is coming. Um, we, people joke about what would you do if this was you know, your last day on earth? And people say, oh, I'd eat you know, fast food and I'd drive fast and I'd, you know, maybe I'd go and play skee-ball one more time or whatever the heck. Jesus did know this is my last day and he washed his disciples' feet. We can do that. I mean, Luther is quoted as saying, and it's very much contested, if I knew the world should end tomorrow, I'd plant a tree. Uh, that concept of we keep on serving, knowing that, who knows, maybe in some way when I planted that tree, it won't be burned up in the fire that purifies this world because it's not rooted in the fall, but in creation and redemption. Uh, and that good deed that you do certainly won't be burned up uh, because the stubble that's burned up, that's your sins. Um, that seems as good a spot as any to stop. I will figure out the numbering and we'll talk about the judgment of the wicked next time. That's not fun, but let's talk about it anyway because it's in the Bible and it's in the catechism. Lord, we do pray that we would long for your coming and remember that our hope is not in, in escaping our bodies or becoming uh, ghosts or joining some cosmic collective, but Lord, in the resurrection and spending eternity fully enjoying you as we were created to. Lord, we pray that we would long for your return, but as long as you tarry, Lord, that we would serve you, we would serve our neighbor and love our neighbor, that Lord, we would proclaim the gospel, that we would uh, be the instruments of your peace and your mercy in a world that is just full of anger and hate and darkness, that Lord, we would be light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.